Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. In book three of his Confessions, St. Augustine brings up something that was a puzzle and a problem for him at the time that he was first thinking about it and encountering it. And it's something that constitutes an obstacle or a hindrance or an aporia going in and not being able to find your way out for many people down to the present. And Augustine himself has a solution to this, which he has worked out in this and in other works. It's sort of his standard approach to distinguish between a divinely given law that can be the same everywhere and then local human customs, which can be suspended or abrogated or even contradicted by God's commands. And how does this work? This does, in fact, constitute a significant problem for a lot of people. And he gives some examples. Those who complain when they hear that a certain thing was licit, that is okay for the righteous in another age, whereas it's not permitted to them in our time. God commands one thing for some people and something for others. And they're saying, how does this make sense? Isn't there a contradiction here? You know, you could think about the famous example of Abraham. God says, go take your son, sacrifice him on this mountain. And, you know, we could say, oh, well, I'll go sacrifice my kid. And then the answer is no, 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 no. That's for Abraham, not for you. Of course, in that case, God actually sends an angel who stops the operation. And Augustine identifies at the very end of chapter seven in book three, why it was that he fell into some problems with this. He says, I did not perceive how justice contains in a far more excellent and sublime manner at one and the same time all that it commands and still is in no part in variance with itself and how at various times and not all at once it distributes and commands what is proper. So what he's saying is that justice itself can include a lot of different things and they're not really in contradiction with each other. It appears so if we have the wrong point of view, if we have a mistaken point of view, and that if we don't have the correct point of view. And he says that what I was not understanding is true interior justice, right? That is another way of talking about the justice that, that God is providing, which judges, he says, not according to custom, consuetudine, right? And there's different Latin words for custom. This can also be translated as a kind of habitual custom, something that we get used to. For example, here in America, you might say that a little bit facetiously because we actually do have laws about this. Driving the speed limit is not what we actually do on most roads, in particular highways. As a matter of fact, you're expected to be going the speed limit or maybe even a little bit over. And if you're just driving the speed limit and you're, say, in the left-hand lane, the passing lane, people are going to be honking at you and getting mad at you. The cops might actually pull you over for that if you're driving, in their view, too slow. That's an example of a custom, right? In other places, maybe you do drive the speed limit. Maybe the speed limits are strictly enforced, right? We, we vary too as well. If you're driving over the speed limit in a school zone, okay, then it's taken a bit more seriously, right? So not according to customs, these consuetudinis, but rather according to what? Law. 
the most righteous law of Almighty God. And he says, by this law, the customs of various regions and times were adapted to times and places. But the law itself, the divine law, is everywhere and always the same. It's never one thing in one place and different in another. And he gives some examples here. According to that law, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and David, so four, actually five very important biblical figures, all of whom exercised authority, all of whom did things, they were all just people, but by ignorant people who judged by man's day and measured the ways of all mankind by their own particular customs, they were judged to be unrighteous. And he's got a, a good sort of metaphor here. It's as if a person who knew nothing of armor and could not tell what a piece is made for what member would try to cover his head with a greave or put a helmet on his leg. So the greave is the piece of armor that goes on your leg and obviously you can't get your head on it. It reminds me of my oldest daughter when she was very little and learning to dress herself. I heard a yell from the other room and I came in to see her struggling to put a pair of pants on as if it was a shirt. And she had both arms in leg holes and was trying to figure out where the head hole was, and obviously there wasn't one on the pants. So, you know, this is a, a good metaphor, right? The law is always the same. Customs can be adapted to times and places. And so these situations or cultures or times and places, those are variable, but justice itself in what it is, are not, is not rather, right? Justice itself is still justice and commanding the same thing. And so how can we make sense of this? Augustine gives us in chapter eight a bit more insight. He says, listen, there's some things that are always going to be right and you should be doing them. And he gives as an example of this, the two commandments that Christ himself gives when he's asked what are, what are the greatest commandments. At that time, there were a lot of different mitzvot or commandments and, and Christ picks out two in particular, you shall love God, uh, you know, entirely, you could say. Here it, it's phrased as loving God with your whole heart and whole soul and whole mind. That's a thing that will always be right, always good, always you should be doing that. And loving your neighbor as yourself. Now he has a corollary to this. Therefore, vicious deeds that are contrary to nature are everywhere and always detested and punished. Now, the very case that he's going to bring up will show us that not always, not every culture gets it right in every single case. He talks about Sodom and there, you know, this is from the story in Genesis. He talks about the men of Sodom. If you're curious about that story, read it rather than just sort of shooting from the hip. There are several interpretations of what was wrong with the men of Sodom. And one of them has to do with sodomy, you know, un unnatural sexual actions. And Augustine might have that in, in mind here. But another was the opposite of hospitality, preying upon those who you should be treating as guests, who you should be honoring. Instead, you know, the men of Sodom demand that the guests should be thrown out among them so that they can do whatever they want. Them. Maybe both of those are part of the thing. But Augustine is saying, listen, there's some things that are just wrong. And, you know, was it being condemned in Sodom at the time? Did the, Sod did the Sodomites have a set of rules that said you're not supposed to do this? Probably not, right? Maybe that was a culture where this rule or law of God was being disregarded. And that's why the punishment comes, right? 
But there's a lot of things that are pretty universally acknowledged. If you look across the board in cultures, don't kill people without a good reason. They don't always say don't kill, period. Don't steal other people's stuff. Whatever sort of rules there are about sexuality, whether you can have it before you're married or can't, or whether fidelity matters, follow those. You know, there's all sorts of things that are pretty much constants, Augustine would say. And that's because those are the things that are being, you know, commanded by divine justice. And part of those are within our hearts, you could say. And he says, even if all nations would do these deeds, they would be held in equal guilt under the divine law. It has not made human beings in such fashion that they should use one another in this way. For in truth, society itself, which must obtain between God and us, is violated when the nature of which he is an author is polluted by a perverse lust. Then he goes on and he says the bad things which are contrary to human customs also have to be avoided according to the diversity of customs. So if there's a, a law against, you know, spitting on the sidewalk because people really don't like it, you shouldn't violate that law, even though that's kind of an arbitrary thing, right? You can say, well, that's just that particular culture. Those of us from where we spit on the sidewalk because, you know, we're expressing phlegm and getting rid of things that are bad for us, right? Expressing a certain sort of rivalry with who can spit the furthest. That's over here and that's okay here. But if we're in somebody else's place, as he says, you know, as, as travelers or citizens, we shouldn't violate the custom of a city or a nation unless, unless of course, it goes against the things that we're supposed to do. Or here's where the kicker comes in. Unless God says, don't follow that rule. God makes it clear that in this case, in this situation, in this time and place, there's a different rule. So he says, when God commands something contrary to the customs or laws of a people, it must be done, even if it's never been done before. If it has been neglected, it must be restored. If it's never been established, it must be established. Why? Because God is the ultimate ruler. God takes care of everything. And so even a king commanding within the city, God takes precedence over him. And he is the king who can make rules about something that neither he nor any predecessor had ever obeyed. Right? And he says, if it's not against social principles for him to be obeyed, or rather if it be against the principles of the society for him to be not obeyed, for it's a general law of human society for men to obey their rulers, how much more must God, ruler of all creation, be obeyed without hesitation? Right? So this is what we call an a fortiori argument. If you're going to say that the legitimate authorities that you're supposed to listen to are supposed to be obeyed, what about the like total capital A authority who created everything? And then there's an interesting discussion about what it means to go against God's laws. This is in chapter 8 and also in chapter 9. He says that there's a lot of different, and we've got different words for this, crimes, sins, evil deeds, vices. These are all basically connected together in the same spectrum. And he says that, you know, we do crimes when we have a desire to do injury, either by abusive language or violence. These can be for the sake of revenge or the sake of gaining some external profit or for the sake of escaping evil, like when we're afraid somebody else is going to hurt us and we go overboard or out of envy, right? And he says, these are main kinds of wrongness, iniquity. They spring forth from lust of power 
or lust of the eyes or sensuality, whether from one of these or two or all three together. These are basic human motivations for doing the wrong thing and going against the divine commands or the divine law or the laws of one's own country, the customs, right? These are the things that motivate us to do wrong. And so he says that, you know, these don't actually hurt God himself. It hurts us. When we do the wrong thing, we damage ourself. The human being's iniquity lies to itself, whether by corrupting and perverting their own nature, which God made and set in order, or by an immoderate use of things allowed to us, or with regard to things that are not allowed to us by a burning lust for use, which is contrary to nature. We screw ourselves up in these cases. We make ourselves worse off, and we also wrong others as well. And God, although we're not going to hurt God, right, by doing something that's wrong. And now he says, this is quite interesting. This is in chapter nine. We don't always know what's going on with people. He says, along with these base deeds and crimes and so many other iniquities, there are the sins of those who are making progress. These sins are reprehended by good judges in the light of the rule of perfection. So there's like a high standard, but they're also praised out of a hope of fruit, as is the blade for the grain, the blade of wheat growing up for the grain that will happen. There are certain things that seem like vice or crime, but are not sins because they don't offend God or human society. For example, and Augustine has some great examples here, a person gathering for a time certain things suitable to their needs. It's uncertain whether they do this out of greediness avarice, or whether certain acts are punished by a proper authority with a view to correcting them. And it's uncertain whether this was done out of a desire to inflict harm. So there's a lot of things that we don't know. The outward appearance of the deed is one thing. The mind of the doer and unknown circumstances are another. Who's the judge in that case? I mean, we can judge by appearances. God is actually the judge and the divine law is the judge. He tells us one other thing that I want to close with here. He says that, you know, very often we're being driven by a kind of pride, desire for a false freedom and this avarice of having more and more. So, you know, greed and pride are key issues. And what do these involve? There's a formula here that is very typically Augustinian, putting more love, love is in desire for something, love is in valuing something on our own personal good. And he uses the plural there, we, our own personal goods, rather than on God. So we have to choose sometimes seemingly between our own personal goods and God, but we actually don't have to, right? It's understanding our own personal goods in relation to God, who is, as he's going to say, the good of all that is, the uh, bonum omnium, right? The good of the totality. So we have a choice. It's not as if we can't pursue our own good, but we need to do so in a reasonable, limited way, subject to the divine law, which, you know, includes some things that we can always bank on, love your neighbors yourself, and some things where we may get a direct revelation, do this rather than what your society commands you to do, or uh, there may be other permutations as well. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.